You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction, sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World this week Broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite Listen to the Anarchist World this week Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse Listen to analysis of local, national, international events analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Well, here we are. You might have heard that. I said the word bad priest. All right, this is the Anarchist World this week. No, I'm not a bad priest. I'm not a priest either. This is the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Just in case you missed the program because you're waiting for a COVID-19 test for the last four or five hours, relax. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. Well, I will be broadcasting over the holiday festive period. Uh, a few, I think we'll be two broadcasts will be pre-taped, but this is live. This is live. Now, just a few things I'd like to remind you. If you live in Melbourne or if you are able to travel, I'd just like to remind you that the 20th of January is Tanaminaway and Morbohina Commemoration Day. It's a day we would like to set aside as First Nations or Indigenous Peoples Freedom Fighters Day. On that day, we hold a special ceremony at the Tanaminaway and Morbohina Commemor- uh, Monument, which is the corner of Victoria and Franklin Street in Melbourne uh, to pay our respects to Tanaminaway and Morbohina who were hung on the 20th of January 1842 at the very spot we hold the ceremony for the heinous crime of resisting white colonisation. It's a family-friendly day, two parts, guest speakers at the monument and then we walk down to the Queen Victoria Markets to the site we believe is their last resting space. You're all welcome. Midday, come along. It's uh, an, it's a, an important day and its importance will be, is highlighted by the fact that six days later we have uh, Invasion Day ceremony. So, Also, if you are interested in the public housing, everybody's business campaigns or defending extend public housing, we will resurrect that campaign in uh, possibly in the second week in January with our uh, weekly vigils outside the Victorian State Parliament House, but that's uh, we'll keep you up to date with that. But apart from those two activities, there's not much on the horizon. That doesn't mean that things have changed. Now, it's fascinating. I want to spend a fair bit of time, maybe about half the t- program, talking about the private con festival. Yeah. No, it's not a festival where you've got to do your pre-COVID-19 testing or be double or triple vaccinated. 
This is a festival we're all involved in up to our necks. And it's fascinating because on the way into the studio today, I am listening to a little bit of a debate about rapid antigen testing and the cost of rapid antigen testing and how the fact that uh, there's a wide variety of prices for the same product. And I'm thinking, oh, well, that's capitalism, private investment of a private profit. If you can extract the maximum amount of uh, profit from a situation, well, that's, that's the very nature and essence of capitalism. And I'm thinking this highlights, to a significant degree, the vortex, the hole, the well we find ourselves in in 21st century Australia. It's a well of our own making. Over the last 50 years, we have fallen for the furphy that private is good, public is bad. That private investment for private profit is the way forward. And that a government of any type, local, state, federal, should keep out of the way of the private sector and you just let the private sector do what it likes and, hey, presto, you have heaven on earth, the land of milk and honey. We all have subscriptions to um, some streaming service. It's all good. It's all about consumption. And what we are seeing, especially over the last decade, is the hollowness of this consumption festival, this con festival that we've all been part of for so long. Even although the climate emergency now gathers a few headlines, we still continue to march along the private uh, investment for private profit road. Although, apart from the uh, investment class, which is about 8% of Australians with disposable income, uh, to invest in uh, real estate and other shares, stocks, for which you get a tax advantage, believe it or not, that's Australian 21st century, we find that many of the services and institutions which were built up through the blood, sweat and tears of generations of Australians, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents have been removed. See, and the funny thing about the private sector, private investment for private profit mob, is they keep telling us to keep the state out of their pockets. Keep the state out of their pockets. You know, as long as they can make a profit, they'll pass it on. And then you hear stories of people living exceptionally luxurious lifestyles with multiple residences around this country. I'm not talking about overseas in some tin, tin pot dictatorship. I'm talking about our tin pot democracy here in Australia, or parliamentary democracy. Well, you've got other people, with, you know, during the festive season, begging on the streets, eking out a living, wondering how they're going to pay the next bill, continue to be employed or exploited in underpaid work. 
and that's in the same society. I had the pleasure of being in the CBD a few, in Melbourne a few days ago and it was nice to see that you could step over the homeless once again. They've been chucked out of the hotels and uh, left to fend for themselves, especially in a state which doesn't really have a public housing sector to speak of. But getting back to this private con, everything private is good. And I know I'm going to bore you, but I'm going to go through this again because I think repetition especially when you're dealing with propaganda, and we are dealing with propaganda, the propaganda that private is good and public is bad. This is the propaganda that's fed to us from the day we are born to the day we die. And it's a propaganda which has helped to create a privatised economy and a privatised existence which is not fit for human consumption, let alone for cities and regional towns and families, not fit. And how have we found ourselves in this situation? And why do so many people want to race to the barricades to protect this situation? I'll give you an example. I'm going to go through a number of examples. And if I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong, all right? I'll go through a number of examples. Now, we've got a concept called deregulation. People talk about red tape. They talk about green tape. Now, obviously, there are many regulations which are put in place to constrain resistance to the status quo. There are laws, there are courts, there are institutions which have basically been put in place to ensure that working people can't collectively bargain to improve their situation. And we see this as far as the trade union movement is concerned in the 21st century. Now, these are the type of regulations which the private sector loves. And we see regulations which are put in place which allow workers on temporary visas to come to this country to be exploited, and I'll talk about this later, in businesses in this country, to be exploited in businesses in this country, by businesses in this country to keep this so-called economy working. So let's look at it. Let's look at the aged care sector. We've had a number of Royal Commissions which have highlighted the inadequacies of the aged care sector, I'm not going to go through it again and again and again. Now, when Mr Howard, yes, he's still around watching the cricket, when Mr Howard was the, you know, was a Prime Minister, he set in train a series of events which led to the privatisation of aged care facilities. Most aged care facilities before that period were run by not-for-profit organisations. I'm not saying they were brilliant, but that was the concept. Now, making aged care a private concern means that you've got three problems. You've got the residents, you've got the private sector, and you've got the government. 
The first thing that the private sector demanded of the Howard government if they wanted to privatise the aged care sector was to remove the ratio between qualified staff and residents. They said, we can't make a profit if we've got to actually look after the residents. We can't make a profit if we've got to spend more than three bucks a day feeding them. So all these regulations were put in place to ensure the private investment for private profit mob would get their way, would make their profit. And this is at the expense of two critical elements in any business, employees and service recipients which are the aged care folk. They're the service recipients. So how do you make a buck? You squeeze your employees, you reduce your services to the people you're supposedly caring for. It's very simple. And many of the inadequacies which were highlighted, but not by me, but by Royal Commission after Royal Commission in this country regarding the aged care sector, pointed the bone at the private investment for private profit mob. And they need to create profit in order to survive, to satisfy their owners or shareholders. That's just aged care. Now, it gets worse. We're told that capitalism means competition. The public sector doesn't work because there is no competition, so people get lazy. They don't want to work. They don't want to provide services to the people they're supposedly providing services for. It gets fat. It gets bloated. It costs a lot. It doesn't provide services. But you think of this. Every dollar of taxpayers' money, and the aged care sector is a classical example, because the aged care sector, the privatised aged care sector, 40 cents in every dollar, which goes to the aged care sector, goes towards creating profits for the owners and it goes towards providing paying for the infrastructure which is necessary to administer that organisation. It's like me giving you a dollar and you give me back 60 cents and say, now you can buy your ice cream. But I said, oh, I needed a dollar to buy an ice cream. Well, bad luck, boy, you you can buy half an ice cream. That's the concept. It's very simple because people say, oh, it's a complex situation. It's complex. It's hard. It's co- there is nothing complex about capitalism. Its essence is private investment for private profit, irrespective of the human, social, environmental, personal costs. You don't make a profit in a capitalist society, you have a problem. If you're uh, listed on the stock exchange like uh, Magellan, now this is an investment firm which is Australian-owned but it's international and currently there's a run in the stock market because of some internal issues and they lost, I think, $1.8 in a 24-hour period in terms of the value of their company. So as far as the you know, the stock market is concerned, it's not about empathy, sympathy, support. It's about racing off to the area you can maximise your profits from. 
So let's get back to our original idea. So you've got two types of regulation in this deregulation environment. You've got regulations which maximise the profits of the private sector, like award wages. Oh, horrible thing, award wages. And then you've got regulations which protect the community from the excesses of the private sector. So what happens? What's deregulation about? Is deregulation about removing the regulations which hamstring uh, unions out of existence? No. Is deregulation about ensuring that less taxpayers' money is wasted in the private sector? No. The deregulation they want is the, de- is the regulation that has come in place to protect individuals and communities and the environment. So much red tape is in place to protect people working. Much red tape is in place to protect the individual from the private sector. It's the same with green tape. It's come in to protect the environment. So what does the private sector want? Well, they want government out of their way. But they don't actually want government out of their way. They don't want government just to remove red tape and green tape so they can maximise their profits at the expense of the community. What they want is government in their back pocket. And that's the key. Government in their back pocket working for them. And that's what modern... 21st century capitalism is about. It's about private corporations that are too big to fail. Well, we, they think they're too big to fail. I don't think they're too big to fail, and you don't think they're too big to fail. They do a bloody the world a lot of good if they did fail. Having government in their back pocket. And it's not obvious corruption although there is a lot of obvious corruption, but it's not obvious corruption as you see in some tin pot dictatorship. This is a different form of corruption. It's a subtle corruption. We breathe it in. We breathe it out every day. It's about controlling the means of communication. It's about pumping out constant propaganda about how important how essential, how there's no other way apart from the private, you know, private investment for private profit mantra, which, which is shouted from every rooftop, every radio station, every newspaper, every social media outlet. You even got the ridiculous situation where influencers are paid so we see people see more advertising. Extraordinary. Extraordinary in situation. So it's about getting rid of regulation which stands in the way of privately owned companies, whether they're listed on the stock market or owned by families, maximising their profits at the expense of the people they employ and the people they provide a service for. Now currently everybody's up in arms. You like that? Up in arms. I think people have forgotten what that means. That means guns. Everybody's up in arms. Well, not everybody, but a large section of the 
private sector is up in arms because there isn't enough cheap non-unionised labour to go about to keep their unsustainable market forces, you know, at bay. So for far too long, this country, because of deregulation, has allowed people from overseas who need a job to come here, be exploited by small businesses and large businesses around the country so they can provide services to the rest of the community. And now with COVID-19 and the closure of borders, that cheap, non-unionised labour force, which keeps downward pressure on prices, is no longer available. And everybody's crying out. We can't get people to work. Well, what do you think happened after the Black Plague swept Western Europe? Very simple. 40% of the population died. Labour was shortage. There was a shortage of labour. Wages increased. Working people had bargaining power. And they could use that bargaining power to improve their situation. Very similar to 21st century Australia. But no, no, the private sector has got this unsustainable business model which is based on the exploitation of non-unionised cheap labour. Want their non-unionised cheap labour back in this country in order to fill those jobs. They're not willing to increase wages, to attract local people into that workforce. Not willing to do that. They want to keep the same wages. And what does government do? Said, all right, okay, let's double the immigration. Let's double the work visas. Let's bring in hundreds of thousands of temporary workers to, you know, resolve an artificially created situation. Instead of saying... Well, why don't we increase wages to a reasonable amount? Hmm? Think about it. It gets better. Because, you see, we're told constantly, constantly, and those that you are, who are breastfed with your mother's milk, capitalism is good. Capitalism equals competition. Capitalism equals competition. Now, fish... I don't know if you're familiar with fish. I'm sure you're familiar with fish. Some of you may have had fish ponds. And what happens in a fish pond? Little fish are eaten by bigger fish. And bigger fish eat the fish that were eaten, that ate the little fish. And then bigger fish eat them. It's the same with capitalism, private investment for private profit. The natural endpoint of a capitalist system which is not regulated is the growth of corporations it's no accident when you go to a shopping centre anywhere on this continent that you will see the same names flash up whether it's fast takeaway food whether it's furniture whether it's pharmaceutical whether it's medical whether it's financial advice whether it's legal advice And the list goes on and on. You find that the corporate sector 
dominates economic activity. And if it sees any competition, it'll buy out that competition or squeeze that competition until it goes bankrupt. The natural consequences of a capitalist, a deregulated capitalist society, private investment for private profit, is the formation of corporations. Look at Australia today. Just go, I know you don't want to, but just go into, well, just walk around a local shopping centre. Have a look at the signs. It's the same bloody companies, whether you're in Tennant Creek, whether you're in Swan Hill, whether you're in Townsville, whether you're in Darwin, whether you're in Broome, Perth, Adelaide, Launceston, Hobart, Shepparton. It doesn't matter. Wherever there is a shopping centre, it's the same corporations. And the first thing, and whether it's the owners of the shopping centres, it's the corporate sector that has benefited from deregulation. And they now control 80 to 90% of the economy in this country. You try to find an independent hardware store, two or three chains. You find an independent grocery shop, four or five chains. And the list goes on and on. Even the general practice has now been corporatised. Over 45% of general practices are owned by four large corporations. So corporatisation, lack of competition, lack of competition is the essence of unbridled capitalism. Then it gets better. See, in the good old days when it took six to eight or 12 weeks to get here and it took that long for a pandemic to be spread, not that there were anything as good old days, I've just been facetious, the fact is that we were protected to some degree from the excesses of globalisation. So what is globalisation? We're told free markets, free markets. We need to be able to trade with the world. And if you look at the debates in this country before Federation, it was all about, do you have a closed market or an open market? So what's globalisation? Well, globalisation is when you pick up the phone and you want to talk to some institution in this country and some poor bastard in another corner of the world picks up the phone and attempts to deal with your query. And obviously, they'll get short, you'll get short in terms of, you know, it's not a practical way. But it's very, 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 very practical as far as profits are concerned. With the telecommunications and the digital revolution, physical space becomes irrelevant in terms of providing services. So what does a corporation with tentacles all over the world do? Well, it closes down sites in countries that have regulations as far as wages are concerned, and it opens up sites in countries where there's no regulation, where they can pay somebody $10 a day 
if they're lucky. They don't want to have a call centre here where they've got to pay people award wages, although those award wages are low. You just maximise your profits. You close them down, off you go, offshore. It's the same with exports. We want a so-called free market. There's been a big, big, big campaign going on in India for the past year. About one-third of the Indian population still is heavily involved in agriculture. And most of that agriculture is incorporatised. And they've been fighting tooth and nail with their so-called three enterprise government to stop them globalising agriculture, which would have led to the loss of work for tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions, of poor Indian farmers. And they've won their battle to a significant degree. So what do we want? What do our farmers want? They want the right, that's right, the right to export and put other people out of business. Fine, maybe you can buy wheat a bit cheaper if it's made in a, you know, if it's grown in Australia, a fully mechanised economy, compared to some third world country where people are still using traditional methods. But think of the consequences to people. I mean, that's what globalisation is about. It's about chasing the cheapest labour source. So we can import clothes at ridiculous prices and throw out 25 kilograms of clothes for each man, woman and child on this continent. That's what globalisation is about. It has profound impacts on communities. But it does maximise profits. Now, I know, I know. You need to... The way to drag people out of poverty is to maximise profits and share that. Well, look, I don't know. I look at statistics every day. And let's look at Australia. Now, Australia is divided into... As far as I'm concerned, this is my opinion, and if you don't like it, well, you can argue against it, is div- divided into four classes. Yeah, I'm not talking about traditional class divisions, but I'm talking about 21st century class divisions. I'm not talking about class divisions which were derived from some 19th century thinker. I'm talking about practical class divisions which occur in a capitalist country, in a country where it's about private investment for private profit. Now, the arbitrator of the type of life you can lead in a capitalist society, whether you can buy your rapid antigen testing equipment at your local pharmacy or local supermarket, is dependent on one thing, disposable income. That's the amount of dollars you have in your pocket or on your phone or whatever at the end of the month. Disposable income. Now, there are two groups in Australian society which make up around 9 to 10% of the population which love privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation, deregulation because they have become very wealthy. And I'm not talking about traditional blue-collar, white-collar, that type of 
class division garbage which is no longer relevant in the 21st century. I'm talking about classes which are based on disposable income. We all know about the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. This is the group that's done exceptionally well from globalisation and privatisation and corporatisation. They've done so well they can actually you know, build private spaceships to take them to the outer edges of the stratosphere. They've got dreams of colonising Mars and the Moon. They've done so well. At the same time, we have 20 to 25,000 children dying of diarrhoea every day on this planet. 50 cents could save them. Then we have stories of people with luxury yachts, multiple residences... Servants coming out of their assholes. Well, at the same time, as I said at the beginning of the program, people die needlessly through preventable causes. All on the same planet. All on the same planet. We say, oh, yes, not much we can do about that, you know. Poverty will always be with, with us. The rich will always be with us. The powerful will always be with us. What a load of bullshit. But let's get back to what we're talking about. One percent. You know, all know about the one percent. It's easy to vilify this nice crew that, you know, loves philanthropy, loves giving away money to the deserving poor, or to uh, activities which they support. Don't love paying taxes to ensure that everybody in the country has equal access to resources. No, no, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that because then you'll lose your cheap labour force. You need to keep them jumping to ensure they can pay their bills. So there's the 1%. We all know about the 1%. And as I said, it's easy to vilify them. But then there's a, a new class, a beautiful new class. And this new class has come into existence as a result of parliamentary legislation, which has made investment the holy grail of existence. It's not about providing services, not about empathy. It's about maximising profits. Now, if you have disposable income at the end of the week, it doesn't matter if you're a drug runner, it doesn't matter if you're a blue-collar worker or a tradesperson or a white-collar worker or a professional It's that money that you've got in your fingers at the end of the week. Now, if you've got disposable income, we have legislation in place to ensure you'll be able to maximise that income indefinitely. Things like negative gearing, which theoretically was put in place to provide cheap accommodation for those who couldn't afford to buy homes. What a lot of garbage. Negative gearing means that if you own more than one home, you can minimise your taxes. You would think in a rational society that negative gearing would mean that if you didn't own a home, that you would be assisted. Not in terms of a first-home grant, which is incorporated in the price of a home, but a different type of assistance, maybe with guaranteeing of loans by governments. So you've got negative gearing. So you can continue to buy homes which are on the investment and continue not to pay taxes. 
brilliant, legal. Good luck to him. And then you got franking credits. You know, you get a discount, a tax advantage for owning a share. Oh, wonderful. You don't get a tax advantage for uh, working your bloody butt off and earning, you know, $1,500 a week or a grand a week, but you do get a tax advantage in terms of if you own shares, stocks and shares, yeah? So we've got all these little rules in place. We've got all these little rules in place. You know, regulations, not red tape or green tape. I call it blue tape. You've got all this blue tape regulation in place to ensure the investment class continues to be a significant feature of our society. And they do well. That's about 8% of the population. Then you've got the bulk. That's right, the bulk. About, what's that, 10, 60, or about 55% of the population. That's losers like you and me, you know. I'm 70, I've worked all my life, I continue to work in a so-called, you know, profession where I'm supposed to make billions of dollars, which is a load of bullshit. Because you've got a professional qualification in this country, it doesn't mean you make money. You can work ethically, or you can work to maximise profits at the expense of the community. It's very simple, very simple concept. And most of the people I know that have worked to uh, maximise uh, their profits at the expense of the people they serve have done exceptionally well in Australian society. They're retired, they've got their mistresses and toy boys, they've got their uh, yachts and you know their holidays, but although COVID-19 has put a damper on that, hasn't it? But, you know, they've done very well. But all the ethical people who've taken an ethical turn, who've actually provided services and done the best they could and taken their responsibilities seriously, well, they're they're losers. I'm one of those. I'm a loser. You're a loser. I mean, you work hard all your life. What do you get? What do you get at the end of your life? Oh, you've got superannuation, have you? As I said last week, the biggest con, the biggest con, superannuation. Could you imagine that? The more you earn, the more you can put aside, the more tax advantage you have in order to have a wonderful retirement. The less you earn, bad luck, Charlie. So you've got the 1% as the investment class, then you've got the bulk of the population. Some privately employed some not hiring labour, some hiring labour, some working for government, some working for the private sector, wondering where they're going to pay their, how they're going to pay the mortgage, how they're going to pay this, how they're going to pay that, indebted up to their neck. Especially now, with the so-called housing bubbles. Hmm? You've got them. And then you've got the 30 to 35% of the population which live a hand-to-mouth existence, relying on Social Security benefits to survive. Now, it was interesting. Then when COVID-19 was around and Social Security uh, assistance was increased, the amount of poverty-related problems decreased. Hmm? Not today. Not today. And then you've got privatisation. The rail road, the wide gauge rail road to the Treasury. 
I've spoken about this ad nauseum over the years. The fact that today privatisation has reached a crescendo we've never seen before. Not only have essential services been privatised, not only have profit-making essential services been privatised, we are now privatising bits and pieces of essential public services. We, are, we have seen the privatisation of everything, 95% of everything that past generations sweated and worked for. So this is the dilemma. This is where the private investment for private profit crew have got you. Fine, you've got a mobile phone and you've got a widescreen TV and you can go to Bali every year. I'm excited. I'm really excited. But at the end of the day, we're constrained by debt. We need to pay the piper. Is this the type of society you want to live in? Where every step forward, as far as the response to COVID-19 is concerned, you take two steps backwards because of the inadequacies and the shortcomings of a private sector which is designed to maximise profits at the expense of everybody? Or do we want a different type of society? Now, I was a foundation member of public interest before corporate interests, and I've been surprised. It, does, it takes a lot to surprise me, and I'm sure it takes a lot to surprise most of the listeners to this program. But I was surprised about the total lack of knowledge about what the word public means. 95% of people, when you use the word public, think it's second-rate, a second-rate service, which is only available to losers. What they forget is that it's the public services which keep society ticking over. It's those public services which create a unified, strong society. It's those public services from cradle to grave which, in, with a, which ensure that people live reasonable lives in this country. It's that public social security net which ensures that people do not have to rely totally on friends and family in order to survive. And all you've got to do is go out of this country to see what that means. And that's the situation. And public interest before corporate interest was formed to address that issue. And one of our fundamental fundamental pillars is the concept of a universal basic income. A universal basic income can be paid for today. And we've gone through this on a million occasions. A 1% stock market turnover tax. 1% transaction tax. And the list goes on and on. You can raise enough money to provide a universal basic income for every man, woman and child on, in the country, irrespective of their income. You claw it back through the taxation system. Say so if you earn you know, the same amount as a universal basic... If you earn a universal basic income, you pay no tax. If you earn double a universal 
basic income, you pay 25% tax or you lose half of it and it goes on and on. Simple. You don't need a revolution. It's just a simple parliamentary act. But that's your problem. You think you live in a democratic society. You think that when you cast your ballot in a few months' time for a federal government that that's the essence of democracy. Casting a ballot to give a representative a signed blank cheque to make decisions for you for the next three to four years. That's the essence of democracy. Democracy is based on an engaged public. It's based more than a vote to elect a representative. It's based on the concept of direct democracy. People be involved in the decisions which affect their lives. So change is not only desirable, it's essential. And that's what people seem to have forgotten. Everybody seems to be caught up in their own little issue, you know, whether it's racial, gender, the list goes on and on, environmental. We all have got little issues we pursue. We pursue for vengeance. It becomes the essence of our existence. But we don't look at the wider issue of why these inequalities exist, why people fight tooth and nail amongst themselves in society when they're all oppressed. But, but it's the colour of a person's skin or their gender or their sexual orientation, or the language they speak, or the culture they practice, or the religion they practice, which becomes the overriding social issue of the day. It's not. It's part and parcel of issues. It's not the overwhelming social issue. The overwhelming social issue are the structural inequalities which are built in a system which is based on the concept of private investment for private profit. That is the universal struggle. And while we continue to fight amongst ourselves, you know, while the exploited continue to fight amongst themselves regarding these issues, nothing changes. It's no accident that most of the crossbenchers in the Senate federally are people with racist agendas, people with sexist agendas, people with... Agendas to keep the coal industry chugging along, irrespective of the damage it does, the fossil fuel industry. It's no accident. You don't see people on the cross benches. We've got a wider perspective. You don't see people in federal parliament which challenge the very concept of private investment for private profit. And those of you who say, well, it's been tried, it failed. I'm not talking about communism. I'm not talking about socialism. I'm not talking about decentralisation. So centralisation, my apologies. I'm not talking about centralisation. I'm not talking about parliamentary rule or parliamentary democracy or dictatorship or cartels. I'm talking about a different type of society. A society based on two principles. That's why I call myself an anarchist. Two basic principles. And it's inequalities in power and inequalities in wealth which give rulers the ability to control and dictate to people. It's those inequalities in power and wealth which are fundamental. Whether you live in a 
communist dictatorship, whether you live on, you know, in some type of capitalist dictatorship or some gangster, you know, failed state. It's inequalities in power and inequalities in wealth, which are the fundamental problems. Fundamental. And unless we're willing to tackle these issues, nothing will fundamentally change for the majority of people, not just in this country, but on this planet. An anarchist is somebody who wants to live a life without rulers. Not without rules. You'd be amazed how many rules there'd be in an anarchist society. But it's without rulers. It's about breaking down hierarchy, breaking down inequality, and holding wealth in common and using for the common good. So if you needed a rapid engine testing device, you'd have access to one. Because resources would be held in common. If you needed access to a good education, you'd have access to a good education. If we continue in a capitalist framework or a monetarist framework, you could have a universal basic income. Because when you look at the amount of taxpayers' money which is now going to the private sector, you would be amazed. Not only is taxpayers' money going to the private sector, there's also legislation in place which ensures the private sector continues to legally rob Treasury and deny other people access to those funds. And if you think this is an impossible task, well, maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Because every task is impossible if it's not raised, if the discussion doesn't begin, if people don't begin to organise around those issues. Of course it's an impossible task. If you'd never seen the colour red before and somebody tried to describe red to you, you would have no idea what they're talking about. You'd think they're off, you know, they're off the planet. It's the same with human organisation, human interaction, human institutions. When people talk to you about human institutions, we automatically, in in the West, in in Australia, automatically think of capitalism, private investment for private profit, as the essence, the pinnacle of human development and human existence. And if I describe a society which is based on decentralised principles the breakdown of hierarchy, the sharing of wealth, you would look at me and say, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I don't understand. Please explain. I don't understand. Please explain. And that's the issue that we face today. Too few of us, especially listeners to the Anarchist World this week, are willing to go out there and talk to people about the differences, the differences between socialism, communism, anarchism, capitalism, the fact that if we, if we have any hope of dealing with the four horsemen of the 21st century apocalypse, increasing population growth, an economy which is dominated by a system which maximises profits at the expense of human beings and the environment, a society which is based on the exploitation of fossil fuels and increased CO2 emissions and climate change and climate emergency – and finite resources, I'm sure Elon Musk won't have enough room on his spaceship to take you to planet, you know, to another planet. The fact is, if you're not willing to, you, to address these issues, 
we need to look at a different way of organising. We need to look at different ways of existing. Because we all know about the boiling frog syndrome, you know. Oh, water's really cold and then it gets warmer and you feel really happy and you're swimming along and you're enjoying yourself and it gets hotter and hotter and hotter and you eventually jump out of the pot, fall on the ground and run over by a truck. Hmm? That's the situation we find ourselves in. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of those amazing people at the Community Radio Network. Thank you to the producer of The Anarchist World this week, Kelly Whitworth. Thank you to Community Radio 3CR, which is the studios in which this program comes from. Thank you to all our listeners far and wide on the World Wide Web, listening and streaming on 3cr.org.au. It's been an extraordinary year. One more... uh, program next year i'll just think maybe i've learned a few things in 2021 maybe i can share them with you next week so further information go to anarchistmedia.org or pipsy.net defend and extend public housing and the list goes on and on public youtube public interest before corporate interests you know you know the drill phone number 0439 395 489 remember I get lots of calls. I don't answer the phone. Leave a message and I'll ring you back. Don't leave a message. You're wasting your time. Web's Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the public, and the list goes on and on and on. But ultimately, as the end of the year draws closer and closer and closer, and as we've just passed the uh, summer solstice and winter is starting to approach, I think the important thing to remember is that ultimately you're the missing cog. You're the missing piece of this jigsaw puzzle. This jigsaw puzzle will never be completed without your participation. You're never too old. You're never too young. You're never too burdened by by problems to not become involved in that struggle to transform this society. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week courtesy of your local community radio station. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can send it to your enemies. Say, have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. This is my Chrissy present, my New Year's present to you. You know, the Anarchist World This Week podcast. You could actually get rid of that family member you've never wanted to actually go to their Christmas party. Think about it. Use me as your lever to escape your duties to your family. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. All good wishes to the folk of the Community Radio Network. Radio is about criticism. We're above criticism. We're about change. Listen in next week to The Anarchist World this week. Minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.